This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Today is Friday, May the 8th. I'm John Dunn, and welcome back to the Best Friends Podcast. Are you mentally tough? Are you resilient? Now, personally, I've never really considered if I'm either of those things. I get through life as best I can, and hey, I made it this far, right? But making it through isn't all you can or should do. We can train, learn new behaviors, actions that allow us to handle adversity and stress and ultimately have that mental toughness. So in the toughest times in this life-saving work, we can be resilient. We reached out to an expert on this topic. Her name is Lynn Christian. One of the producers of the podcast, Amy Charlton, sat down with Lynn. That interview is coming right up. And we have a story from the Midwest, Caroline Harefield. She's the director of the Minnesota Animal Care and Control. She shared with us how she, over her 25 years in animal services, has developed these skills and how she's putting them to use, guiding her staff through the pandemic and pushing Minneapolis over the 90% no-kill threshold. Now, first up, as promised, Amy Charlton and her conversation with Lynn Christian. I'm Amy Charlton, and as John said, I'm one of the producers of the podcast. I'm also the Senior Manager of Educational Programs at Best Friends. Part of my role is to work directly with incredible leaders in animal services from across the country. And when I started, I knew animals were being killed in shelters, but I didn't fully understand the life and death situations occurring daily, nor could I begin to comprehend the impact those decisions could have on a person. Lynn Christian is the mind behind Soul Salt. She shared some tried and true resiliency principles with me, principles that can help us stay in the driver's seat, to make space for ourselves, and to keep an open mind and heart so that we can look for what is possible, even during a crisis. I know that we have an audience of animal lovers on this podcast from varying perspectives. And so I do have to ask quickly on a fun note that um, I think I'm right on this, that you have a pet. Is that correct? I've always had pets in my life. Yes. Currently, uh, our household is the home for three dogs, but horses, dogs, cats, I've always loved the, the spirit of the animals. It feels like to me, they sort of give us an idea of what it would be like if we lived at a higher frequency. Wow. I love that too. I agree with you completely and wholeheartedly on that. And I think everybody that's listening will, will feel similarly. Um, Okay. So now to get into the full purpose of why we thought having you here with us today would be incredibly helpful. Um, Just, I'm going to share a little bit of the background and then we'll go into some specific questions, but Uh, Animal shelter professionals, they're familiar with stress on the daily due to the sensitive type of work that they do. And COVID-19 comes and presents even more of an emotionally charged situation for many of them. And so they have some big concerns on their minds. Will my budget get cut and how much? Will I be able to continue to save pets' lives if I do have less resources to work with? Um, We're just so grateful to have you here with us to share some gems with these leaders that might help them with some of these big question marks. So I'm going to start with the first thing, and that is, what are some things that they can all do, we can all do to stay in the driver's seat, so to speak? Okay. So 
let's just, and you may hear my little uh, Scotty outside. I hope that's okay. I can move him if you want, but there are chickens next door. So when he hears them, he's, um, and he's also outside because we're doing this in here. <laughs> Otherwise, this is how we do it. We got to hear the animals. <laughs> um, so I would ask each person while you're listening, if you're in a position, pull out a piece of paper, literally, and a pen. And let's address what you just asked. And let's do something together. So I'm going to ask you to everyone listening, reflect back before you write anything down. What was the condition of animal rights and the, the life expectancy of animals in some of these shelters when you first realized that there were such things as animal shelters, be it if it was the Humane Society way back when, before this Best Friends, what was it, what did it used to look like 20 years ago, 30 years ago? And if you don't have memories, you've been told stories of what it's looked like. And just hold that there for just a second. And now let's go to the future. Everybody listening, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do have a vision of how it could be. So I'm going to invite you to pause this podcast, pull out the pen and paper. Don't just give yourself a chance to, to think it in your head because when we write it down, we actually start to embody the change in a cellular level. When you and I were little, if we touched something hot on the stove, we learned really quickly, don't touch hot things. But some of the other learning we need to do and some of the other growth we need to do cannot happen that fast. When we write things down, we literally can change some of our DNA. On a cellular level, we can change things. So I'm going to ask everybody to push pause when they hear this and start writing out a paragraph or two about the most elegant, the most expansive and abundant vision you have for animal rights. Just take a moment and write down the vision, the beautiful future you see that you've been working for. And write that down. Now what we're hoping and encouraging people to do is literally take time, push pause on this podcast and write it down. But just those of you who are still listening, what do you see? And I'm going to ask you, what do you see? Hmm. So what I see is a place where animal shelters as they stand today aren't needed in that way. They don't need to house animals in the way that they are having to today because the community understands what kind of services they can offer and that it's more clear for everybody. And therefore, because of that, we utilize them more as a service, kind of like if you were um, for social services or a, a wellness aspect to the community. And if you have an emergency, that's where they come into play, but they're not just the daily house warehousing of animals. And it's part of the community wellness as a whole. And they're a resource and people are fostering and adopting animals. And we're well enough educated that we know how to kind of keep the population to a, a 
controlled level where we don't need to warehouse animals anymore. That's that's kind of, my, you know, best friend's vision is even broader than that, but that's what I would hope for in my community. Okay, so let's compare this. Let's just have this conversation. When you were going through all those things, will I have layoffs? Will someone on my staff get COVID? Will I lose my job? Will we be shut down? Will my budget be cut? There was a certain neurochemistry in your body versus when you just talked to me about that future where wellness, where we would go way beyond where we are today. And these would be community services instead of warehouses. What shifted inside of you? Definitely more hopeful, right? And that there's something that I could start doing to move towards that versus living kind of paralyzed in the unknown and the fear of what may happen. Boy, we couldn't have scripted this better and we did not. But your question about what can we do with the fear, it's going to pop up. And it's going to knock us out of the driver's seat. And it has. And that's normal. Fear is a natural process to keep our species alive. It's primitive. So the thing to do with fear is to not fight it and not expect that it won't kick us out of the driver's seat. It will. Every time we have a negative thought, we're going to go to the back of the brain in the limbic system that was primitively placed there to say, See danger, run from danger. See danger, fight danger. See danger, freeze, appease. Those are natural things that we don't want to override because our autonomic nervous system has kept us alive. But when I asked you to go to the vision, you went to the prefrontal cortex, which is the newest, highest evolved part of the brain, where we can see the future, where our head starts to drop in and connect with the 40,000 neurites in the heart, and we start to build trust that there will be a future. We also are smarter because we can co-create and problem solve and innovate in that part of the brain. So back again to your question, the way to work with fear is to include it, recognizing that it's not to be overridden. It's coming up because, oh yeah, I'm human. We're living at a time of great threats, pandemics, and global conditions that we have never faced before. That is scary. Yeah. I could let the freak out of the box because of all of that. And because I know I can be with fear and include it, I can realize it's just trying to keep me alive. Therefore, I will choose to put myself in a different position back in the driver's seat after I get a, an amygdala hijack. You know what that is, where the cortisol is churning, the adrenaline is churning, and you can't even think straight. And it does take some time, 20 minutes of breathing, 42 hours of talking with friends before you can complete that cycle and get back into the prefrontal cortex. But the spending more time in that prefrontal cortex of thinking and working toward, and you said it, not only dreaming what the future could be, but then saying, okay, if that's the future I'm going for, what's one small thing I can do today? to make that happen. And that is a perfectly legitimate, scientifically backed strategy to deal with where we are today. And those concerns that you mentioned that are a matter of life and death for humans and for animals. Yeah, I think that if we're hanging out in our frontal cortex and we're living in that space more, one thing that I think comes to mind is that as we continue to try to come from this place of power and courage rather than fear, 
We also know we're going to be pushing a system that has been doing things the way they've been doing them for a really long time. We're going to be pushing innovative ways of doing things, thinking outside the box, sometimes constrained within municipalities and and governmental processes. So any suggestions on how we do that and stay in that mode you just described, but do it with grace and confidence so that it's received and we're allowed to make that space that we need for ourselves to innovate. Yeah. So one of the tools I like to use in conversations is mutual success. And I think one of the advantages that your group, the best friends organization is going to have is that our hearts are softening even more. Mankind is starting to wake up like the consciousness is literally rising because of this pandemic. If you look around you, I even looked at one of the latest polls with how many people really believe that we would be better off even if our financial economic standards fall and our systems crash to preserve life. The majority think that. So if we look at the trend, saving life itself has gotten a nice booster shot. And so if we take that consciousness and look at how do we find success and go to these municipalities, these other leaders and say, I see what you're going for. And here is what I'm going for. How do we put those together and co-create a future that then says we can both win and not with one of us having capital letters on our win and the other one having lowercase tiny font on the other side. That's one thing. Another thing is this is a crucial time and people who work in nonprofits, please listen to this. For the longest time, we have lived too long in the martyr side of life. We've used our energy, our time and our talent to do things that are all heart, but then we wind up with poor health, not enough sleep, and we're in the gutter, like I was in high school, going, what the heck do I really want the future to look like this because I feel like crap. So we go back to some real foundational things, bottom-up behaviors. This is a time to be really strong. If we want to be powerful, we have to be strong. Go to any gym, talk to any trainer. You want to have more power? Power is inclusive of strength. But you can be strong and not powerful. Power is being able to hit something hard very quickly. A power move is like a lunge in fencing. It's like a punch in boxing. It's like that moment when the tennis racket hits the ball and there's a big, big impact. You cannot be powerful without strength. And strength comes and resilience, that ability to snap back, that ability to be stretched by these things and not break, that ability to be like the weebles that wobbled and don't fall down. And some people my age will know what I'm talking about. But we have to go to bottom-up behaviors. This is a time, and I think this is a perfect time where we've been humbled and on our knees to say, what are you eating? Are your foods whole foods? Go back to reading 
the book by uh, Hartwig and Hartwig, it starts with food and re-engage with the things that you're putting in your body. I'm not saying diet. I'm saying get a new relationship with your food. Exercise. The best thing we can do is walk. Body weight exercises. You can look up body weight exercises on Google. Find all kinds of things that make you stronger. Seeking social support and having that network. We've really found how important that is and something that your group will love. Contact with nature, contact with animals, and the final one, get sleep. Our bodies are created to need, and I know there are people who will argue this, but scientifically, we need seven to eight hours to regenerate. If we don't do that and we just keep working, we sacrifice ourselves. This is a time to put the oxygen mask on. This is not a drill. Put it on yourself first before you try to put it on your children, your friends, your spouse, your partner, your animals. Number one, that's bottom up. Start with the basics. Number two, once you get those needs met, start having rituals like sitting down, like the little exercise where I asked you to go into an aspiration, a heart dream of the future. I have a little card that has a little graphic and words on it. I keep it right here up by my desk. I'm so visual. The picture is a picture, a picture of a woman standing out from a crowd leading. And it reminds me that leadership, my leadership needs to be not about my position in my company or in my community, but my position of how I use strength and power that exhibit character and capacity. So those visions that we have for the future, we want to visually keep them in front of us. That could be a ritual where you make a collage, you make a dream board, you make a little card that shows you that future you're going for, and you have a ritual of staying in front of it. Maybe some of your rituals are things like meditation. Uh, maybe another thing, I like to sit and connect with my, my uh, partner each night. We have a ritual of taking the dogs for a walk, having dinner together, and really slowing the world down and getting back to our family unit. Rituals. And then finally, there's a mindset that perceives stress. Like, like I said earlier, respect and honor fear. But realize that if we keep allowing ourselves to constantly have stress, we're going to go into anxiety. There are so many things that we can do today from the ground up to be able to help ourselves. And the Internet is flooded by these now. People just trying to help other people. Find your reputable sources. Find things that are based in science and apply those. Creativity is one of them. Notice how many people are doing creative projects. That just keeps the juice flowing, the creative juices flowing when you need them. Being able to learn something, the thing you need to know knowledge-wise is going to come to you if you have a formal learning track. Having people to talk to, mentors, coaches, advisors, friends, family. Have your posse. Persist. Don't give up. You may some days have to push away from the computer, push away from the work, and take a day off. There are things that we can do, strategies we can live by that help us become more focused, lean into our strengths because we haven't worn our muscles out, and more true to ourselves because the things we really value are showing up in our behaviors. And that's another thing that I always come back to. If we want to make it through these times, we need to know what we value, 
have it really set up in a system. And when push comes to shove, go to those values and say, how do I live the day? If our values led us every day, we would all be A, more full of integrity, but B, more inspired. We'll jump back to Lynn and Amy in a few, but let's go to the Midwest, Minnesota. In 2016, Caroline Harefield became the director of Minneapolis Animal Care and Control, but she started in animal services 25 years ago. I am a very, very dedicated, very driven animal welfare person, and I've seen some really bad things. I asked her about some of the things that have happened in her career, and she pointed to one case she had as an animal control officer and how it really left its mark. We got called out on a Sunday, and we had about... I don't know, 18 inches of snow, which was unusual. And back then we just had a big red pickup truck and a dog box. (laughs) There wasn't much to us. The owner of the house had been in the hospital. There were several dogs, all of whom needed help. I climbed into the house and I pulled Judy out front of the house and carried her up the steps. And she was the skeletal of just skeleton and skin. I think she weighed like 29 pounds. And she was a full grown Doberman. Sadly, despite Caroline's best efforts, Judy passed away. I can remember sitting in my office the next day and I'm just torn. I mean, I was devastated and it still brings tears to my eyes today. That has stood with me through my entire career. Every case I've ever handled, I've been speaking for Judy. Dealing with the highs and lows of this work over time. We do get jaded over the years. You get, you know, it just, euthanasia becomes business. You know, that takes its toll on people and and you have to learn how to manage that physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But that's where the resiliency comes in, right? So how do we adapt, manage the stress, the emotions, stay healthy, and keep saving lives? You know, you have to find what works for you. You know, one is keeping it in perspective, having trusted people that you can talk to if you really need to. I've gone to counseling in my life. I've learned a lot about self-care and about the cost of what what this has cost me over the years when I didn't use self-care, when I drowned myself in my work. As the director at Minneapolis Animal Care and Control, Caroline demands that her team find balance. If you burn out, or worse, and worse things we know happen, right? You can't help them. You can't help the ones that are coming later. You have got to take care of yourself. At the end of my life, I'm not gonna lay on my deathbed and go, I wish I'd worked some extra overtime. So I have to insist that my staff take care of themselves and take care of their families. She says having an open, honest two-way dialogue with her staff allows them to feel heard, which she says helps build resiliency. I want people to be happy. If I have a bunch of unhappy employees, oh Lord, it's no fun. It's not fun for me, it's not fun for them. I wanna have fun. I can't do that if I fall apart because I didn't take care of myself. It's such an important piece of resiliency. And that's the piece people need to learn how to do. Even resilient people like me, who have survived things that other people didn't, I had to learn that. So here we are, Minneapolis. And just like everywhere else, it changes overnight. Faced with the realities of the shutdown due to the pandemic, Caroline knew they had to act quickly and show some of that resilience. We started doing managed intake for the first time ever. And just before the, the governor said, close the doors, We were able to get nearly every animal out of our facility. I think there were five left. They all went into great homes and we haven't had any returns. It was just an amazing experience. The community has really stepped up. We've just learned a lot. There's this huge silver lining in all this chaos, right? And how we do our business. And it's not, we're going to go back to being open in June, but we're not going back 
to the way we used to do things. Under Caroline's leadership, Minneapolis has seen a rapid increase in life saving. In the first quarter of 2019, the save rate, 76%. The first quarter of this year, one year later, 93%. Always know your true north, and there is no such thing as failure. So when you get knocked down, stand back up. And you keep standing up until you get to the finish line. That's pretty incredible stuff from Caroline. Congratulations to her and all of her staff. Now let's jump back in to the conversation with Amy and Lynn. I want to tell you that internally, you know, our leader, Julie Castle, has been sharing with us often on live video uh, updates. And um, it's really been great as, a, as an organization to connect that way on the daily. You could tell people were craving that. And she keeps reiterating, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon so that people can remember kind of how to pause and pace themselves and take care of themselves amidst all of this. Um, and one of your articles I happened to read this quote and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so perfect. And it's by Angela Duckworth. And it says, grit is sticking with your future day in, day out, not just for the week, not just for the month, but for years and working really hard to make that future a reality. Grit is living life like it's a marathon, not a sprint. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, and that's one of my favorite quotes that I put in that blog. Um, and in fact, for those who are wondering, you can go to soulsalt.com and find a couple of blogs on mental toughness and grit. So grit, a lot of people have, we've, we've given grit sort of a, a, a free reign over our lives. We cannot grit our way through life. We cannot willpower our way through life. Willpower and grit have a shelf life as well. They're not on will call. So if we're not feeding those things that I just talked about, the daily rituals, the food, water, shelter, grit's not going to be there when you need it. But grit is that part of us, by definition, that keeps us determined and persistent and trending toward the thing we want. Even if we get knocked out of the driver's seat or we get into a funk or the freak gets out of the box and we fall apart, it's that part of us that says, I will dust myself off and I will get up again and I will go again, but maybe I'll be a little more wise about my PC. We are not talking about people going out there and throwing the hammer down so hard every day. You do that at the gym. You do that in your work and you will burn out. You'll have adrenal fatigue. You'll have an autoimmune disease. We cannot run ourselves ragged. If we really care about what we're doing, then we must really care about ourselves. And sometimes we care more about what we're doing and the animals we're saving than ourselves. So grit is the persistent thing of getting up day in and day out and taking care of yourself first. And then taking care of the next thing you need to do and then giving yourself space to expand and recover. If you keep going, your muscles will start to decay. Your health will go downhill and your immune system will be more prone to COVID-19. Space is such an important thing to our neural chemistry. We are bioelectric beings with neurochemistry. 
And so another thing I would say, if you want to have grit, you need to have space. Go do your thing, be persistent, and then give yourself space. In fact, if you want to be really successful through this pandemic, plan what you need to do, do it, and leave space for new things to arrive. Because I promise you, your industry is no different than any other industry. COVID-19, this pandemic, all the things that are up for grabs now and changing are giving us opportunities for new ways to do things. So I would also say your grit, if you get up and do the day-to-day, -day, keep your eyes open for what's new, what's changing, and how does that help us further our cause, and how do we join now with other people to further their cause? There is so much greater opportunity because the consciousness is rising that if we are aware and awakened, and if we leave space, and we're gritty enough to not give up, but not to grind ourselves to nothingness, but to use the grit to continue to trend up, you know, track yourself over seven, seven days. Were you trending up? Did you have a dip? Did you keep going forward though? Because you'll start to see ups and downs, but the trend is toward the future that you want. Leave space open. That's another way to maintain this grit. It's living like it's a marathon. That's what she means. When Angela says it, and when Julie repeats that, we're not throwing the hammer down hard every day and burning ourselves out. We are leaving space for reflection, wisdom, innovation, getting into that prefrontal cortex and seeing what's possible. And that's a really good question to use at this time. What is now possible that wasn't six months ago? Mm, I love that question. What is now possible that wasn't six months ago? Really good. I have been thinking a lot, both as a mom and as a business professional, about this mental toughness thing, because I have to try and help instill this in my children. And I have to help work on that myself, as well as encouraging and, and modeling it for others that I work with at work. And so I've really been researching and I've been so curious about this whole mental toughness thing. And can it be cultivated in everyone? Or do you think that some of it is a natural innate ability, but not maybe natural to others? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I think you've already hit on it, but let's reinforce that. Anybody can be mentally tough. Some of us have a little more ability than others to have it naturally, but mental toughness is just as, as affordable to anyone as happiness is. And so some attributes that you can start to uh, practice, one would be believe in your own ability to achieve goals. So start small and achieve a small goal. And you'll start to see that makes you mentally tough. If you really want to exponentially make that better, journal about your thoughts and what happened. If there's something you're trying to acquire, like mental toughness, what did you do today that showed that? And how did it feel? And how can you improve by 1% on that tomorrow? Or while you're achieving a goal, how are you continuing to stay gritty and stay on that path and stay determined? And when are you able to pull back and give yourself a break? Self-belief. I don't think that people who work in your industry have enough self-belief that they're professional 
and that they're legitimate. But that train has already left the station, guys. It used to be that people had to get up and toil really hard to do things like plant seeds and, and have enough food for the winter. And we have crossed a line where professional athletes make these huge salaries because of play, because of entertainment. You used to go to a hardware store to find a plunger and to find a toilet brush. Now you can go to Target and find you can have five different styles of each of those. So we've crossed this place where our abundance and the way we live tells us that human life and animal life are tied together and that the animals we bring into our homes are family. So you're legitimized just by the fact that we see your industry being something that's a part of our life. We either give to you because we like your cause and we can't save all those animals. We adopt these animals because we know that we need to have animals in our lives again. So this steadfast self-belief that you possess unique qualities and abilities that are needed today, that's important. Having a strong desire and an intrinsic desire and motivation to succeed is important for mental toughness. Being able to bounce back from setbacks. So taking care of yourself so you can bounce back physically, so you can bounce back emotionally. Uh, if there's anything that's in the crapper right now in your life, a relationship, an old pattern, get it taken care of. See your therapist, whoever it is that you go to talk to, because that bouncing back from setbacks is a way to improve your mental toughness, to know you can overcome and keep overcoming. Uh, accepting and coping with stress, competition, and knowing that's a way of life. And that's just how it is. And welcoming it and being with it. And not allowing other people to be seen as good or bad if they're competing against us. Start to find that mutual success. Having a personal life that's highly rewarding. That's important to grit and mental toughness. Uh, being able to turn your focus on and really stay focused with something, even if it's 30 minutes, and then take a break and come back to 30 minutes. But then also turning it off, that idea of space. Pushing through your boundaries, both physically and psychologically, on a constant basis. Go to work a different way. Set up your office differently. Change things up so that you mentally challenge yourself to push yourself to take risks or do things differently. Try something new on a menu. And then always getting back on track and refocusing and knowing that getting back on track is what we do as human beings. We get knocked out of the driver's seat. We get knocked into fear. We get knocked into freeze mode. Get back on track. Pick yourself up. Brush yourself off. Those are ways to stay mentally tough that are, are available to everyone on a day-to-day -day basis. I love that. I love it a lot. And I know that um, sometimes there's a bit of a stigma, <clears throat> excuse me, around toughening up. And what you just described is so beautiful and often intrinsic to some of us and accessible to all of us. Um, how do we know, though, that we aren't just quickly dusting ourselves off and toughening up and really not dealing with some of the emotions that, that bubble up for us and pushing them down? I know there's probably got to be a balance there. So do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So toughening ourselves up, being tough doesn't mean that we ignore. It doesn't mean that we can just muscle ourselves through things. It doesn't. 
toughness is the sign of are we trending toward the things that are our aspirations because we don't give up because we are persistent because we're willing to take some risks and we take care of ourselves in such a way that at the end of the day we can fall asleep with some peace and we know we did the best by ourselves and the best by others so it's doing that like julie was saying in this quote it's a, not a sprint like angela was saying it's day in day out self-care so that you can take care of yourself how do you know that you have a problem if it's persistent consistent and it keeps knocking you on your butt it is a barrier and you can feel it's keeping you from being at your best self and you know what there's some really great therapists some that are turned into coaching now where it doesn't take a year to get through the trauma we all have trauma of some sort and that's usually why we may not be as tough or as consistent as we could be Either the T is capital and we had a really big trauma or the T is small because we fell off our bike and nobody was there when we were little to pick us up. Or it's an accumulation of small T's that have become a big trauma. We all have it. If you're human and you're on this moving planet that can create pandemics and have economic crashes and can have polarities between tribes, if that's always been the case that things can happen. It can be really frightening to live on this planet, but that's not the point of life, is it? So picking ourselves up and dusting ourselves off is one thing and realizing if you're dusting yourself off consistently from the very same hurdle, the very same speed bump, then take care of that sucker. Look at it. Maybe this is the time to be more honest because honestly, that's probably what this pandemic is all about is to help us get rid of the things. Uh, I mean, look at how many toilet paper hoarding stories you heard. If you hold on to a piece of toilet paper and you go, what is this for? It's to help you get, and I'm going to use my big girl words, it's to help you get the shit out. Right? So if you find that you keep having this pile of something that the toilet paper can't reach, it's time for us to all get rid of our own bullshit. And this is a great time where the spotlight's been on it. And if there's something there, get that part of your personal life taken care of. Because toughness is getting through that kind of thing. It's not gritting and ignoring and just running yourself into the ground. That is not toughness. That's actually a sign of ignorance. Yeah, what a great, great point. <clears throat> Never thought about the toilet paper example like that. So now I'm going to think about it differently. I love it. You've said so much. There's so many wonderful nuggets in here. Um, and I think this is going to be so great for not only the professionals in animal welfare, but all of us who are amidst this same COVID crisis and how it impacts our own individual worlds in some fashion or another. All of these principles are tried and true, like you said, no matter the profession. And yes, animal welfare does have its unique aspects where they are dealing with the life of an animal. And so it does bring in some additional stressors, but it's really cool to see some of these universal principles that can be true no matter the type of stress that you're facing. Um, so to kind of bookend this time with you, and like I said, you've said so many nuggets, 
but I would love to give you any opportunity um, here at the end to share last words of advice or your favorite quote or your favorite ritual that you do or any final nugget that we could provide from talking here today about resilience and mental toughness. What would you like to leave our listeners with if they get anything from what we've talked about today? Yeah, there are two opposing forces that we need to be really cautious of. We are wired to want stories. We make up stories. We want a beginning, a middle, and an end. We're in the middle of something that we can't know what the end will be, but we want to know what the end will be. And so one of the best pieces of advice that goes along with neuroscience is to set the knowing, the have to know and the have to control in a box on some shelf somewhere and adopt a mindset of discovery. What is possible? How can I find a way to get through this as elegantly and as powerfully as I can? Start being in discovery and experiment because discovery and experimenting will always trump that addiction to knowing and controlling. And so this is a time for resilience and core strength that says, I give up having to know how this is going to turn out. And I will find my way through it by asking what's possible. Thank you to Lynn and Caroline and Amy Charlton, who not only conducted that interview, but she plays an integral role on this podcast, as do the other two producers, Tawny Hammond and Mark Peralta. Check out the website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. Lynn Christian offers content and courses to help you build your resiliency. She's offering a discount for listeners of the Best Friends podcast. You'll find all that information, bestfriends.org slash podcast. Please take care of yourselves and each other and be safe. I'm John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.